Hello, everyone, and welcome to the May 7th edition of the WorkComp Academy Weekly News. I'm Renee Folser, attorney with Floyd Skarin, Manuki, and Langevin. Thanks for joining us today. Let's get started with our litigation report. The California Supreme Court ruled that companies that want to classify their workers as independent contractors must prove the workers are running their own businesses. The ruling could help thousands of drivers for ride-hailing companies like Uber and Lyft, as well as other gig economy workers. The Supreme Court case is Dynamex Operations West versus the Superior Court. Dynamex is a nationwide same-day courier and delivery service that operates a number of business centers in California. It offers on-demand, same-day pickup and delivery services to the public generally, and also has a number of large business customers, including Office Depot and Home Depot. Before 2004, Dynamex classified its California drivers as employees and compensated them as required by the state's wage and hour laws. But after 2004, Dynamex converted all of its drivers to independent contractors. All drivers were then required to provide their own vehicles and pay for all of their transportation expenses, as well as all taxes and workers' comp insurance. In this case, two individual delivery drivers on behalf of a class, allegedly similarly situated drivers, filed a civil complaint alleging that Dynamex had misclassified its delivery drivers. The trial court ultimately certified a class action, and Dynamex appealed the case, but the Court of Appeal rejected its arguments. Dynamex then asked the California Supreme Court to reverse, but the Supreme Court affirmed the Court of Appeal and concluded it is appropriate to look to a standard for determining if someone is known as an independent contractor, commonly referred to as the ABC test. The more common standard is the Borello standard previously established by the Supreme Court in a case with that name, and the ABC test now adds different criteria. Under this test, the hiring entity must establish three things. A. That the worker is free from the control and direction of the hirer in connection with the performance of the work both under the contract for the performance of such work and in fact. B. That the worker performs work that is outside the usual course of the hiring entity's business. And C. That the worker is customarily engaged in an independently established trade, occupation, or business of the same nature as the work performed for the hiring entity. The ABC test presumptively considers all workers to be employees and permits workers to be classified as independent contractors only if the hiring business demonstrates that the worker in question satisfies each of the three conditions. The ruling did not address other issues such as payment of work expenses, workers' compensation and unemployment benefits, which are covered by separate laws. The federal courtroom battle over the survival of the new automatic stay law governing liens filed by indicted medical providers has been more than one year of mostly unsuccessful litigation. 
Dr. Eduardo Aguizola, while facing multiple counts of insurance fraud filed by Orange County prosecutors, is one of the plaintiffs who has challenged the lien law in federal court. Soon after his suit was filed, Governor Brown signed AB 1422 into law, which was adverse to his federal claim and specifically authorized WCAB judges to determine issues surrounding the automatic stay law. And last December, the federal court issued a restraining order against the DIR. It limited the application of an automatic stay to instances where the lien claimant was given proper notice and required a hearing before the WCAB should any of them claim they should not be subjected to the stay. This was a partial victory for the plaintiffs who sought more restraint. But in February 2018, the plaintiffs filed two new motions, one asking the court to hold the DWC in contempt and the other alternatively to reconsider its December 2007 ruling. The federal court just denied both motions. And at the same time, the defendants filed a new motion to dismiss certain claims in the first amended complaint. And the court granted the defendant's motion and dismissed the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth claims, except for the facial due process component of the fourth claim for release, relief without prejudice. As to the sixth and seventh claims for relief, the Supremacy Clause claim and the Takings Clause claim, the court dismissed those claims with prejudice. The plaintiffs have until May 17 to file a second amended complaint. In support of the motion for contempt, the plaintiffs claimed that the DWC has employed new, bizarre, and unprecedented procedures, which they recently manufactured to continue the farce that the Section 4615 provides due process to aggrieved lien claimants. The court responded by noting that the WCAB judges have a wide latitude to develop the record and obtain evidence. After reviewing other arguments based upon claims of ex-party communications and illegal regulations, the court concluded that there was nothing in the evidence to find clear and convincing evidence to hold the DWC in contempt. In 2010, former NFL player Brad Culpepper filed a workers' compensation claim for benefits for injuries he allegedly suffered while playing professional football. He played six games in California while a member of the Chicago Bears, making him eligible for California benefits. Fairmont Premier Insurance Company settled with Culpepper for $175,000 by way of an order approving compromise and release. And shortly after the settlement, Culpepper became a contestant on the reality television show Survivor, a show which can be physically demanding on its contestants. When Farmont found out about the show and it unsuccessfully sued him for fraud, the court found it lacked jurisdiction to hear the case. However, in 2015, Fairmont tried another strategy against Mr. Culpepper, and filed a key Tom action in California State Court under California's Insurance Fraud Prevention Act. 
Culpepper removed the second case to the federal court on the basis of diversity jurisdiction and then moved to dismiss again, claiming there was no jurisdiction outside of the WCAB to hear the fraud case. The federal district trial court granted Culpepper's motion and dismissed the suit because it concluded that the instant Keaton suit uh, had no jurisdiction because Fairmont had not asked the WCAB to reconsider the order approving compromise and release to prior to filing his suit. But the United States Court of Appeal for the Ninth Circuit reversed in the unpublished case of People of the State of California, X Real versus TIG Insurance Company and Culpepper. The Insurance Fraud Prevention Act authorizes a realtor to bring a key time claim on behalf of the state of California when the realtor discovers any false or fraudulent claim for insurance. Its claim therefore arises from Culpepper's allegedly fraudulent presentation of his claim for insurance benefits, not from the settlement of that claim or from the WCAB's approval of that settlement. The suit, therefore, does not arise from the order approving compromise and release, and the trial court has subject matter jurisdiction to hear, hear it. The WCAB also does not have exclusive jurisdiction because this is an action on behalf of the state of California, not an action for benefits against an employer. And an amended complaint naming additional drug firms believed to have helped fuel West Virginia's opioid epidemic has been filed in federal court after attorneys in one of the cases received drug distribution data from the federal government last week. <clears throat> the drug reporting database, known as ARCOS, is a comprehensive drug reporting system that monitors the flu flow of DEA-controlled substances from the time they are created to when they get into the hands of patients. The 27 gigabytes of raw data was ordered to be turned over to the case's complainants under seal, and none of the information has been made public. But one of the attorneys said that the disclosure of this information not only allows him to see the transactions between manufacturers and wholesalers, but also the transactions between the wholesalers and the pharmacies in Cabell County, which he represents. The companies added in the amended complaint are seven manufacturers as well as companies associated with them because of their alleged improper marketing of the opioids they manufactured. Although the Drug Enforcement Administration highly objected to releasing the data, plaintiffs won their request of that ARCOS data and it was ordered released to them by the federal judge. And now our crime report. 34-year-old Michael Williams of Daly City was arrested on 21 felony counts of insurance fraud and grand theft after allegedly working for multiple employers while collecting over $85,000 in workers' compensation benefits from two different insurers. In November 2014, Williams was working as an electrician when he sustained a work-related injury. 
He filed a workers' compensation claim with the state compensation insurance fund and began collecting temporary disability benefits. An investigation by the California Department of Insurance revealed that in March 2015, Williams began working for a different employer, yet continued allegedly collecting payments from the state fund. And in May 2015, Williams sustained yet another work-related injury and filed another work comp claim, this time with the Travelers Insurance Company. Between March 2015 and November 2016, Williams allegedly worked for and was paid by three different employers. At one point, Williams was collecting payments from the state fund and travelers at the same time for two different work-related injuries. Williams allegedly misrepresented his level of abilities, earnings, and employment status to the state fund and medical providers, including false statements to his QME, to collect permanent disability benefits after the TD benefits were exhausted. Williams was also charged with grand theft for allegedly using his former employer's credit card for personal expenses, including an engagement ring. A federal indictment claims that five Navy service members who were stationed in San Diego fraudulently came to hunt, claimed $100,000 in insurance payouts for non-existent injuries. The indictment alleges that the four men and one woman fabricated their insurance claim applications with forged signatures and altered hospital records belonging to other real patients. They pretended to have injuries themselves in a variety of falls, including from a horse or motorcycle crashes. Four of them got $100,000 before the government discovered the scheme and froze final payments. They are charged with wire fraud and conspiracy to commit wire fraud, with which each carries a 20-year maximum prison sentence. The indictment alleged the defendants filed bogus claims through Traumatic Service Members Group Life Insurance, a program funded by the Department of Defense and service members. The plan is meant to provide short-term financial aid of up to $100,000 to severely injured service members and veterans. One of the defendants, 43-year-old Richard Cody of Oceanside, was a chief petty officer and a member of Explosive Ordnance Disposal Expeditionary Support Unit 1 as of last December. He allegedly filled out a claim in 2015 saying he had suffered traumatic injuries in 2002 by falling off a ladder while taking down Christmas lights. He allegedly altered the real medical record of a Navy man who fell from a helicopter during training. And 44-year-old Ernest Thompson of Murrieta was an officer until 2015 after serving four years in the same unit as Cody. He is alleged to have filed a claim in 2013 saying he broke his leg, foot, knee, and forearm in 2002 motorcycle accident. Christer Toops was a chief petty officer construction mechanic in the explosive disposal unit from 2010 to 2014. In 2012, he is alleged to have claimed major injuries from a fall during training in 2005. And 41-year-old Colleen McGrath was an officer and a nurse until 2002. 
and she claimed a shoulder injury from 2002 fall from a horse. Jason Tubes was a petty officer second class and he filed a claim in 2013 for a purported motorcycle crash that caused numerous fractures and a concussion in 2004. Sixty-year-old Teresa Baker was sentenced in Imperial County Superior Court for 30 days in jail and 60 days home detention and three years of formal, formal probation and also ordered to pay restitution of over $124,000 after fraudulently collecting payments on disability insurance while working full-time at three different employers. Baker claimed an injury to her back in 1998 after a fall while employed by Valley Independent Bank in El Centro. Baker claimed to the insurer that she was unable to work as a result of the injury. The California Department of Insurance launched an investigation after receiving a referral from the Standard Insurance Company claiming that Baker had been working while collecting disability benefits. The investigation revealed that Baker collected more than $100,000 in disability payments while working. Baker worked for the Brawley Public Scales, Sun Community Federal Credit Union, and the Brawley School District as a substitute teacher, all while claiming to be disabled. She was arrested last June and subsequently pleaded guilty to one felony count of insurance fraud in January. This case was prosecuted by the Imperial County District Attorney's Office. And in regulatory news, the DWC has posted an order adjusting the pathology and clinical laboratory section of the official medical fee schedule to conform to changes in the Medicare payment system. After April 1, the maximum reasonable fees for pathology and laboratory services shall not exceed 120% of the applicable fees set forth in the April 2018 quarterly update to Medicare Clinical Laboratory Fee Schedule. Outpatient clinical laboratory services are paid based on the Medicare Part B Clinical Laboratory Fee Schedule. The payment is the lesser of the amount billed, the local fee for a geographical area, or a national limit. In accordance with the statute, the national limits are set at a percent of the median of all local fee schedule amounts for each laboratory test code. Each year, fees are updated for inflation based on the percentage change in the consumer price index. However, legislation by Congress can modify the update to the fees. This order can be found on the DWC's website. And in medical news, some scientists say mobile phones may be behind a surge in deadly brain tumors. Data from the Office of National Statistics reveal cases of glioblastoma in England soared from 983 to 2,531 per year over a 10-year period. The rise was across all age groups and came as cases of lower-grade tumors fell. Experts say widespread environmental or lifestyle factors are likely to be responsible for the trend with mobile phones a potential suspect. The findings are published in the Journal of Public Health and Environment. The highest rise in incidence was found in the frontal and temporal regions of the brain. 
This raises a suspicion that mobile and cordless phone use may be promoting gliomas. The findings illustrate the need to look more carefully at the mechanisms behind these cancer trends instead of focusing only on cures. Typically, only a third of patients are still alive two years after being diagnosed with glioblastoma. Most survive just 14.6 months. But critics warn the study only identifies a trend in tumor diagnosis rates and does not provide sufficient evidence that mobile phones are to blame. Some say the suggestion that mobile phone use is responsible cannot be substantiated. Many things have changed over the last 30 years, and so the strong causal conclusions seem unjustified. And in other industry news, last December, Amazon, J.P. Morgan Chase, and Berkshire Hathaway announced the formation of a new healthcare company which would use technology to provide high-quality healthcare to patients and families more simply and at a more reasonable cost. Its decision was modeled after tech giants like Alibaba and Tencent, which have been experimenting with employee healthcare software in China for many years, and whose initial targets include online medical advice, drug tracking systems, and more recently, artificial intelligence. However, if Amazon intends to succeed where other industry giants have failed, it is essential for it to build infrastructure that can leverage cutting-edge medical technologies. This means Amazon needs to implement AI software for continuous analytics of automatically structured big data and advanced research technology. According to the New York Times, over 130 Chinese tech companies were applying AI to increase efficiency and accuracy in overburdened Chinese hospitals. California workers' compensation now limits medical care to evidence-based medicine. But contrary to popular belief, experimental science and medicine is relatively new. Before the introduction of evidence-based medicine in the 1990s, the majority of Western medical advice was based on observational evidence and expert opinion. Evidence-based medicine has signified a historical shift in the way Western medical doctors view and treat patients. What is concerning to many health experts is that more than half of the current treatments may not be evidence-based. Historically, some very common and invasive procedures has turned out to have no benefit or even to be harmful. For instance, a 2018 study showed that a stent placement for heart disease, a procedure that can cost up to $14,000, works no better than a placebo to increase exercise tolerance on a cardiac stress test. But if a healthcare technology disruptor introduces AI with continuous analytics of automatically structured big data, it can displace statistically significant observational evidence that is more likely to be accurate. The same system can be easily adapted to facilitate large-scale experimental validation studies and clinical trials. This could be disruptive, efficient, and beneficial for medicine. 
And that is all of our news and events for this week. Please check our website daily for news updates, past editions of our news, and much, much more. And remember, you can subscribe to our weekly news podcasts and our special reports using your iPhone, iPad, or Android device by searching for the WorkCop Academy with your podcast software. And we also publish a daily flash briefing on the Amazon Alexa Echo platform. Search for WorkCompensation News on the Amazon website. Again, I'm Renee Foles, an attorney with Floyd Scarron, Minukian, Langevin. Thanks for joining us today, and please drop by again next week for more news.